Welcome to Learning Through Math, the podcast. I'm Laura at I Teach the Why. I'm Karina at Mrs. Cousins 5. Our mission is to inspire ourselves and others to keep learning and improving with passion. And hugs. You can find us at learningthroughmath.com and on Twitter at Laura and Karina. Come and join us on this journey of learning. Thanks for joining us. We are recording this in November of 2020. And welcome to episode 26. Labels are for soup cans. Yes, they are. They are. (laughs) Our shout out today is going to go out to Matthew on Twitter. He said, Laura and Karina teach me new things and ideas every week. So thanks for that shout out, Matthew. Thanks, Matthew. Reflection from last episode. We talked about computation fluency versus procedural fluency and we didn't really know honestly what was the difference between the two right I wrote in my notes is there a difference we looked it up and no not really really. there's not really a difference because both of them have to do with fluency right which are those three to four components of efficiency accuracy flexibility and then appropriate strategy exactly and when we're doing a procedure we are computing so they they kind of go hand in hand right so that's it we we not much else to say not much else to say on that okay we have no nothing else to say on it is that, is that a first? I think it might be. <laughs> Our good news. We have some good news. We have something brewing in the pot. Yes. And that's all we'll say. <laughs> so stay tuned. Yes. We, we're, we have some plans. Some future plans. Mm-hmm. And ideas. Mm-hmm. That we are cooking up. That's right. We're going to let it marinate a little bit. That's right. We <laughs> and are. And we'll see what happens. So we will keep you updated, but stay tuned and and keep looking for updates from us. We're very excited with what's what's what might be happening. That's right. That's right. Okay, our topic for this week, labels are for soup cans. We chose that title because we talked about all the different kinds of labels that we have for our students. Yeah. And that's ridiculous. Right. The most common is low kids, low kids. and high kids. Bothers me so much. Yeah. And I, of course, I've said it. Oh yeah, of course. It's because we didn't have any other language right to quote describe them, but the more I'm, I'm looking at it and thinking about it and researching. Somebody, and I can't remember who, so if it was you, please let me know. Somebody said striving learners. Yeah. And I loved that because aren't we all striving learners? Absolutely. I mean, none of us knows everything about anything. Yeah. <laughs> Always learning. Right. Yeah. I saw this on Facebook this morning and it was from board teachers. Yeah. And it said, I'm tired of hearing people say kids are falling so far behind. Behind what exactly? We have third graders logging into Zoom meetings, troubleshooting technology glitches, learning to communicate their needs and adapting to a completely foreign school environment. With these life skills, I think they just might be pulling way ahead. Wow. That's a great way to look 
look at it. Right? Because, I mean, all the standards that we have are arbitrary. They're man-made. They're the low, quote-unquote, the low kids. Really? I mean, they're the ones getting all these life skills right now anyways. Exactly. Berkeley Everett started the conversation during a webinar that he presented. He had a slide up that he talked about low kids versus high kids and Mm -hmm. that we have to change our verbiage around it. We shouldn't say low kids. He actually, I love that he did this on Twitter after he presented. He went through several revisions of this idea of what we should say instead. Okay. He actually started by saying that low kids are really deep thinkers and then high kids are kids whose enthusiasm and confidence are easy to elicit and build upon. Okay. But then he changed that. Okay. After feedback. Okay. After feedback from others. And he then changed, he kept the low kids to be deep thinkers and high kids to be enthusiastic speedsters who probably need to think more deeply and become better listeners. Ooh. But then he changed that. Okay. Revision revision number three. Okay. Where he took out low kids and high kids and took out the deep thinkers and instead said just everyone. Right. Just children. Right. Children who have informal understandings of the world that we can leverage and build on using their own ideas and understandings. So that there are no low kids or high kids but just kids who all have informal understanding mm-hmm. and that like filling in gaps yes. because we know that even our high kids quote unquote right that we've called high kids mm-hmm. have gaps yes they do they have holes in their understanding mm-hmm. and then his tweet said using labels like low kids and high kids undermines your goal of helping all kids learn to mathematize their world yep and nice. that's yeah so we have to just get those labels out gone gone we gotta Goodbye. get rid of them mm-hmm. i was listening to a session that mike flynn presented in the virtual math summit yeah and he said instead of calling them low kids he was saying they could be concrete thinkers and so i reached out to him and i said um i asked him you know what so what do you call the quote high kids and he replied back to me and said i actually avoid categorizing students as low average or high instead i try describing clusters based on their present thinking Mm. which i thought was super duper awesome yeah so then you know basically calling them concrete thinkers or pictorial thinkers or abstract thinkers because then they're not in a fixed category if you're describing them at the moment right where are you in your learning right now right now where is your mathematical thinking and then we both came across this one tweet by josh and he said psa stop saying that you teach quote the low kids there are no low kids maybe low support maybe low learning environments maybe low curriculum and maybe even low teaching but there are no low kids yes oh and low background knowledge too low schema yes if you right if you haven't been exposed to things just like when we're thinking about reading aloud to kids when they're birth to five you're supplying all that vocabulary yeah to them while you're reading books. Yeah. And if you keep going over the word enormous, the elephant was enormous, the elephant was enormous, eventually it's going to click for them, oh, that means really big. Because maybe they'll see a picture of an elephant and see the relative size and understand, oh, enormous means 
really big. Right. I do like the idea of what you were saying and, and what Mike, to kind of build on what Mike Flynn was saying with the concrete thinkers and mm-hmm. the abstract thinkers and pictorial thinkers. It kind of made me think of, you know, a three circle Venn diagram mm-hmm. where kids can go in and out the Easily, different rings. Right? So I'm going to create a little fun little graphic. Nice. And I'll post it okay. on uh, on Twitter and on our website okay. for people to, you know, look at and think about. Okay. We know that labels are harmful. Yes. And I think Joe Bowler does a really great job. <laughs> You're bringing out the big guns I again. Am, I am again. She does a really good job at explaining why they're so harmful and and research-based, right? right. Ex- really explaining and, and seeing the power of those labels that we might think are just insignificant, mm-hmm. you know, that they, they won't hurt or damage the kids, but they do. They right. are very damaging. And it all goes back to growth versus fixed mindset. Yes. In Limitless Mind, on page 26, she says, Nobody knows what children are capable of learning, and the schooling practices that place limits on students' learning needs to be radically rethought. She goes on and says, Research and science have moved beyond the fixed brain era, but fixed brain schooling models and limited learning beliefs persist. As long as schools, universities, and parents Mm. continue to give fixed brain messages, students of all ages will continue to give up on learning in areas that could have brought them great joy and accomplishment. Here's something that drives me crazy and it has to do with reading. Oh okay. Yeah. I'm ready. I know. I know. This is a little surprise for you, right? So a kid says, I'm a G. Oh. You're not a G, honey. You're reading at a level G independently or instructionally, but you're not a G. Yes. Like with the number for their FSA, for their statewide testing on the three. No, honey, you're not a three. On that one day. At that one time, your score was a three. Was a three. Right. Come on. You know. Yes. We've got to get away from all these labels. So how do we do that? Well, we have a few ideas. We do. And the first one I would say is to stop using labels. <laughs> right. Okay. As much as possible. And and we're talking about speaking about children. Yeah. We're not talking about labeling the room. My school is a high ELL school. Right. Label the room. Yeah. For sure. Put everything in English and Spanish and Creole or whatever languages that your kids are surrounded by. Right. But we're talking about stop labeling children. Yeah. I think your point with reading is very important because it's so easy to say, all right, when you go book shopping, you are a level G, so pick books at a G. We have to be very careful in our language. And really, I don't care what book a kid goes and picks off the shelf. I mean, when we were growing up, we didn't have these labels of G, all the alphabets. Right. Right? Right. I do remember, though, oh, we had a color system. Okay, this just came back to my mind. In 7th and 8th grade in Mrs. Murray's class, so all my friends that had her will completely 
Hopefully, they'll remember this too. It was, I think SRA put it out. And that's how long that company's been around. <laughs> and I remember you had to pick up, it was laminated. Okay. You know, like that okay. thick, yeah. the thick laminate. And it was kind of a four-page thing, I remember. Like the front, the inside, and then the back. And you had to read the selection and answer the questions. And I, I think, gosh, if I really remember right now, it was self-corrected because I don't think my teacher had time to look at all 35 of ours right and that was just our one class right? right so if we got them all right we got to you know you had to do so many at the blue level or whatever and then once you got that many right you got to move up to the purple level uh. that just came back to my mind so I think we did have it growing up we just weren't it wasn't as prevalent right as it was now she well, wouldn't say go get a purple thing right. I think that was all like self-directed but even going to the library as a kid of course I got books that were way beyond my level yeah and if I didn't know the word I don't know maybe I would pull out a dictionary and look it up and or go ask my mom or yeah, dad right or my right. brother or sister I, I think it's just trying to create kids that are more self-aware and won't get frustrated like if it, there's a book that they're not ready for yet to put it away to not try to struggle through it like when I was a kid I was an ESOL kid I was in third grade when I went to an all English school and at that time you had only spoken French French, schooling in French and my first language was Spanish so it was very (laughs) so in kindergarten I was learning a new language so I was born in Venezuela so I learned Spanish until the age of four okay and then we moved to Canada and I went to a French speaking school school kindergarten was in all French and I did not know French okay from September to December I spoke nothing in the classroom and then just language started pouring out okay after second grade so I finished second grade all in French okay I went to it we moved again I went to an all English school oh my gosh in third grade and in third grade I mean that that was a whole story I still remember counting in French okay like I would do all the math in French and then I'd have to translate it Mm -hmm. it was it took me longer and I think that that's why I didn't like things like speed the around the world and around the world because I had to translate it in my head first okay then and then of course I worked on you know just going directly to and now I do it all in in English okay but in third grade I remember my friend saying take this book read it it's amazing and we'll talk about it and I was like okay I got to the first page and I couldn't go, move past it. I was like, this is terrible. Wait, I don't like this book. Do you remember what book it was? The <laughs> Island of the Blue Dolphins. Oh. And I tried reading it again this summer. And I still couldn't get past it. I'm like, I I, I don't like this at all. <laughs> I think it like traumatized me. Wait, you tried to read it this summer? Yeah, I as did. As an adult? I did. And I was like, this, this is terrible. I can't. I can't oh, read it. Oh, it is a good book. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't get past the first page. I was just like... It brought you back. It brought me back to the, to not knowing and not understanding. And I just couldn't. I was like, this, I'm not going to struggle through this. I'm going to put it away. So later she asked me, she's like, so what did you think of the book? And I was like, mm-hmm, it was great. Oh. Totally lied. She's like, what was your favorite part? And I don't remember if, they, if that dolphins. was actually third. 
third grade, right. <laughs> if it was actually third grade when she gave it to me, it may have been fourth or fifth. But anyway, I'm, regardless, I just remember that feeling of like complete, like I'm just not, I, I, I'm not there. You know what I mean? I'm right. completely inadequate. I can't, I can't read this book that you love and I, I can't. But it's, I think it's, it's empowering kids to see I'm not ready for this yet and I that's okay I it's okay to put a book aside I would rather a kid put the book away than try to struggle through it you know what I'm saying right and maybe because it's way beyond where they are but if it's just a little bit above oh right that's fine with me as long as they're actually reading and understanding right. parts of it right I think that that's the that's the we just don't want kids to be pretend reading right but again like if a kid knows that they're reading at a level G H I can they go to like an I or a J it depends I, mean, I think it depends on their experience too right okay. because even books nonfiction books uh-huh. I like to talk to kids about nonfiction books yep. because there the levels are a little bit more fluid if you know a lot about snakes you're gonna you can eat, yes. you can pick a very high book about like high level book about you had snakes to pick snakes as i the just topic. i don't okay, know it just great. came in my head because i don't know very much about it I, I think that's why i wouldn't pick a very high book about snakes right. i would pick something lower right like as you adults know, we wouldn't pick the scientific right you know genre about snakes and all right of that. right right we would probably pick a kid's book about right snakes, but then you right? would build your your schema your knowledge your right? knowledge Knowledge, and then you could tackle that book later on. Right. Okay, I get it. I get it. The next way about how we create a classroom without labels, besides stop using labels, is to really teach your kids that everyone is smart. I go into these classrooms right now. I'm only in there for an hour. And one kid will say something like, oh, that kid is smart. And immediately comes out of my mouth. Oh, well, I believe that everyone is smart. And we'll find out how you're smart. In, in another time kind right, of thing. Right. Because I really so now we're going from smart to dumb. Yeah. Yeah. So just everyone is smart in their own everyone way. Everyone is mm-hmm. smart. And this all goes back to multiple intelligences. Yes. Howard Gardner, Kagan and Kagan. That's really where I really learned about multiple intelligences was when I went to the multiple intelligences training with Kagan. How else do we create a classroom without labels? Another way is to just respect every opinion, every voice, every idea, every strategy, right? And not say, oh, this strategy is better than this one. Mm-hmm. Or not to, not mm-hmm. to... Put down anybody's right, ideas. Right, And that it's okay if you did yours in five steps and I did mine in four. Like, again, that whole what's efficient for you right. is not necessarily efficient for me. Yes. And just, like, if you're still multiplying in fifth grade using area model, have at it. Uh, my 11th grader still is, so... Yeah. Why? <laughs> Why not? Why is that such a problem? It's not. It's not. Right. I mean, the problem, I think, lies when you have these really high numbers and you have a kid that okay. wants to do repeated addition. Right. Where we're, we're like, you know, hundreds times tens. And it's like, buddy, you know, or hundreds times hundreds or thousands times tens. Yeah. You're not going to want to write that. And they, the room for error is so great when right. they do things like right. that. Right. That's, I think, where, where the, the challenge lies. Right. But yeah, just really allowing kids to have their own voice in the classroom. That all comes down 
down to classroom culture. Absolutely. Another way to create that classroom without labels is to have tasks that are low floor, high ceiling. I mean, open middle comes right to yes. my mind right yes. away. Uh, absolutely. And those tasks are just great to see where the, mm-hmm. I mean, you learn so much about the kids. You do. You know, talk about what you get from an open middle task is so much more valuable information than what you get from a seven question test. Right. I completely agree with you. And then I think the, the last one that I kind of thought of was random groups. Yes. Those are really important. I very rarely will pull a group, and they have to be flexible groups too. Mm -hmm. Not the same groups at day after day. Right. It's not like you're seeing, what was it? The the bluebirds. The bluebirds, the the cardinals, (laughs) the soaring eagles. Right. right? It's, I like to change them up, well, pre-COVID. I liked to change them up every week Mm -hmm. or every two weeks. Mm -hmm. Then they hear different people's ideas. They hear different voices. They hear different ways of thinking. And they don't know necessarily who's high, who's low, you know, who's high, quote unquote. Right. Who's low, quote unquote. Who's struggling Mm -hmm. more than the others. Mm -hmm. They're just all mixed up. And when you pull them back, are they reading the same things? Are they doing the same math problems? Are they, like, how fluid are we talking about? I would I would have them there because I would give them choice too, right? Okay. In my centers, there would be, like, stations where there would be games. Uh-huh. So, I mean, that's, everyone is equal on that. Right. Um there would be, I would have like my math choice board where I had tasks that were leveled. They could pick the level that they wanted. They could go above. Were they really level. leveled? They were. They were? Yeah. Okay. And they could pick, am I, where, how do I feel? Where's my comfort level? What, what do I want to work on? Does, and if a kid was who say, is struggling. Do you think that promotes a fixed <clears throat> mindset though? How? Because it's not an open kind of task. So I'm what I'm thinking of is, you know, when, when Carol Dweck did her research mm-hmm. and had the kids do the puzzles, and they were all the same puzzles, but half the, the kids got fixed mindset messages and the other half got growth messages. And then the next set of tasks, she would give the choice to the kids. Would you like to do the same types of tasks or would you like to do more challenging tasks? And the growth mindset kids said, I want to do the more More challenging challenging. tasks, even if it was, it took them longer or they didn't get it or whatever, where the fixed mindset kids said, no, I want the same level because they were so afraid of- To try something new. And get it wrong. Hmm. Or not being well, able to do it. I mean, they they would work together on the task. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it wouldn't be... It's not like they were working independently. Oh, okay. This is more information than right. I didn't know. Okay. <laughs> so I think, I think when they... Like, it depended on who they were with. Right, right. You know? And I feel like all of them... Because I'm trying to think of, like, when they would turn it in. I would have it, like, on purple paper. More challenging task. Yeah. Would be on a different color. color. So that Did I could quickly see. Yeah. Okay. Because it was it was right there and it was all labeled. Okay. Um, Ooh, labeled. Okay. <laughs> and they would. I mean, I, I I agree with the fact that yeah, some of them would always pick the higher ones. But I feel like they would they would all try it. There wouldn't be that pressure. It's not like it was a graded assignment, right, right? Right. It was something that they were working on together. And when they were working on it together, they could help each other, support each other, and ask questions. I don't know. So it's interesting. Now I'm going to give you something to. Yeah, I might have to rethink that. But again, this was pre-COVID. We haven't used that this year, right? And maybe you just change the tasks to be more, you know, open middle kind of tasks, right? And some of them were. Yeah, 
Yeah. Some of them were. Because the reason I love those is because it's self-differentiating. Right. Right. What I loved, I went into second grade and I did an open middle task with the five second grade classes. And I actually used a kindergarten task, the very first OA kindergarten task. And it was balancing equations. It just said use digits one through nine, one time each to make the equations true or to make a true statement or whatever it said. And it was all on Google Slides. And who put that out on Google Slides? Oh, I don't know. Someone on the internet. Somebody. Thank you. (laughs) And I would just ran. I don't know these kids' names. So I would just say, so-and-so, give me a digit. Tell me one of the numbers. And so I would slide it in with my finger on Google Slides. And I'd ask another kid, give me another. Pick another one. And so I'd slide that in. And always, let's say it was four and five. They would say, Move nine in. Okay, I'll move a nine in. But it says nine plus something. And I got to have a whole conversation with yes. them about what the equal sign means. Right. It means the same as, the same right. value on both sides. And I said, so what? what is the only digit that would work here? And inevitably, finally, because I would just wait, one kid would say zero. I said, you're right, but are we allowed to use zero on this task? And they would say no. So yeah. I'd slide the nine back out and, and all of that. The thing I loved about that is every time that a kid thought that they did a true one, I would come over and look at their screen or if they were virtual, they'd write it on a whiteboard and hold it up to me. Yeah. And if it was correct, I would write it with the smart pen, you know, on the right, smart right, right. panel. And we started really one kid in a couple classes would start seeing patterns. Yes. And I was like, yay, yes. you know, secretly. Yeah. yeah. And they would just switch one number on each side. Yeah. Make this one greater, make this one less. Yes. And it always worked out. And that kid, you know, generated a whole bunch. Right. Which was great. We also did some of the wrong ones up so that right. we could talk about that. Of course. Which was great. All right, listeners, we are going to wrap this up with the challenge. And the challenge for you this week is to think about how you talk about kids. How do you talk about your students and think about how you can start changing your verbiage, your language, especially when we talk to parents Mm -hmm. and other teachers. Yes. Yes. Thanks for joining us. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and give us a five-star review on your favorite podcasting platform. We invite you to join the conversation on Twitter by using the hashtag learning through math. We'd love to hear your feedback. Make sure to tag us at Laura and Karina. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. To you too.